hello and welcome to our podcast. We hope it encourages and inspires you. Please head to our website for more information on what is happening at Ashburton New Life or to get in touch. One of our team would love to talk to you. Here's today's message. Thank you. Thanks, Nikki. So, gosh, usually I'm so nervous about getting up here and preaching, but today I'm actually really relieved. (laughs) It's been such a hard few weeks since I've known I was going to be preaching today, and I just feel that I've been in such a battle. Um, So I'm going to pray right now. Um, Thank you, Father. Lord, we thank you that you are here in this house today, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you cover, cover this house and everybody in it with your blood, Father. Lord, I ask that you fill me up. Fill me right up, Holy Spirit, and everything that pours out of me is entirely you, Lord. I just take myself out of the whole morning and just ask that you speak through me in your mighty name. Amen. So I'm pretty excited to speak this morning as part of the Spirit Wars series. Um, And the title of my message is Be Battle Ready. So we're in the middle of a war and we don't know when it's going to end, but we actually do know how it's going to end. Because, and because it doesn't really make sense to arrive on the battlefield without training first, I'm going to share a few secrets and strategies on how each of us can be battle-ready. The most important thing is to know who we are. And it's simple. We're in, made in the image of God. In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Secondly, we actually do need to understand our enemy. We can't go into battle without inside knowledge of the enemy, but we do need to have some balance and not obsess over the enemy and know him better than we do God. So who is our enemy? Well, after the most beautiful angel was cast out of heaven because of his pride, God knelt down and picked up dust from the ground to create a human, the very thing that would come head to head with Satan and rule over darkness. And as God breathed life into Adam, Satan was filled with the most perfect hate, disgust and jealousy. Then, as Adam and Eve walked through the garden talking to God, Satan remembered how he used to walk with God and spend time with him. So he then decided to wage war against these human beings. He took on the form of a snake or a serpent and slid into the garden to kickstart his lifelong battle with us. In Genesis 3.1, we read, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from from the trees in the garden, but God said, I must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You certainly will not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So once this act was exposed, God cursed both the male and the female and also the snake and he banished 
banished Adam and Eve from the garden. This is actually called the fall, and we are living in the shadow of it today. So Satan will never stop his mission. He wants us separated from God in hell by stealing, killing, and destroying all that we are in God. So going back to the fall, Satan said, did God really say that you can't eat any tree from the garden? So you can see that he's trying to confuse her by twisting God's words, and he's making her question whether she actually heard God or what she heard from him. Then he said, you won't die, He's coming at her with the opposite words of God. He's undermining God and he's putting the idea in her head that God has an, like a secret agenda and he's not giving her the full story. The third thing that he said was God knows when she eats the apple, her eyes will open and she will become like God herself. This would have felt like he was sharing a bit of a secret about God and that he isn't being honest with her. Then he came in for the kill and he tempted Eve with power and pride, the very thing he himself was thrown out of God's presence for. So because Adam and Eve only really knew goodness at that time, they didn't expect that darkness would be lurking in the garden. It didn't really exist at that time. So when we look at the way he spoke to Eve, we can see that Satan is still actually using the same schemes with us today. He makes us question whether we are really hearing from God and what we're hearing from him. He twists the truth and he causes unbelief in God's promises to us. Then he will show, allow pride to come and throw pride and power at us, tempting us to become higher than God. Satan is also called the accuser. This is another path into our thoughts because he constantly reminds us of our sins and wrongdoings in the past. So if we're constantly living in shame and remembering the bad things that we did, how can we have room for the future? How can we know our true identity if this is all we listen to every day? The word says in Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions or wrongdoings and sins from us. That's a long way. God says in Genesis that we were created to be fruitful and extend his dominion over the earth, glorifying him in everything that we do. And we are to fight the battle against Satan and his dark army. But of course, we can't do that on our own. And that's why Jesus was brought into the world. He took on all our transgressions into his own body and he paid the price for our sin, past, present and future. We need to be reminded of the cross every day to stop the accuser getting into our minds and to shame us. But of course, without the resurrection of Jesus, the cross is meaningless. He rose three days after being murdered to start his church. And then he gave us the Holy Spirit in his place to live with us today. So the Holy Spirit is our counsellor, our guide, our friend and our trainer for the war that we've been placed in because of the fall. We are called to attack the areas where Satan is still terrorising mankind by standing on God's promises, the gospel, and by sharing the love of God in every corner of the world. Satan's weapons are ever-changing in, in his crusade to destroy us. He's attacking us from every side. He's, at, he's attacking our youth, Firstly, from the womb upwards, with abortion, suicide, self-harm, unbelief, false religion, and identity issues. 
He's attacking the things that we see and hear through the media. He's throwing depression at us and idol worship, and he's attacking our church and the people in it. I don't have to go into detail about all that stuff that's happening in the world because we, we all know. But that's enough about the bad stuff. Let's hear some good stuff, eh? Here are some ways that we can overcome every single battle in our life. The first one is, know the end. Here is a scripture for reference, if you're writing it down. Re- uh, Revelation 21, 1-4, it talks about the circle, how we started in the garden and how we're going to end up being with God. That is the end of the story, and Satan knows that pretty well as well. So if you actually haven't read Revelation in the Bible, I really, um, yeah, you should find a study guide online or something and go through it because it's really worth knowing the end of the story. Satan's going to fry. This is a good way to start your weaponry, reminding us that he's a loser, literally. The second thing is know the word. In Matthew 4, 4 to 11, we read that Satan twists and throws God's words at us. And when he tried to tempt Jesus, Jesus threw God's words right back at him. It reads, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Easy. This book is actually the answer to everything. And it's so important to read it, meditate on it, and ask the Holy Spirit to bring it to life for you. It's not meant to be read from cover to cover, like a novel, because that way we we really need the words to settle into our spirit. Think about it, if I read a book by a famous author, like a novel, will I know the author by the end of the book? No, I wouldn't. To get to know the author, I would need to start a personal relationship with him. And the purpose of this book is to know the author, God. So this leads me to the the third point, which is having a relationship with God. Spend time with him, praise him and pray. Speak to him, get to know him personally. Fine-tune your mind to the words that he's speaking to us every single day. Because to have a relationship with another person, we need to give and we need to take. We need to talk about the hard stuff and the deep stuff. We need to share, laugh and cry together. This is what God really wants with us. The fourth point is identity. What is your identity? When you introduce yourself to people, do you say, Hi, I'm a mother, I'm a father, I'm a brother, I'm a a teacher, I'm a builder. Maybe these, needs, these words should change to, yeah, I'm a Christian. I am loved. I believe in Jesus. I'm pretty special. <laughs> it took me years of telling myself that to actually believe it is the truth. And as a re- this is from a result of a lifetime of rejection, abuse, sin, and spiritual oppression. But I'm really starting to believe it now. It did take a while. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So number five in our weapon arsenal is our God-given gifts. Every one of us has been given gifts from God to use for his glory. 
In Corinthians 12, 7 to 11, it explains about the spiritual gifts. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, a message of special knowledge. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I think we've got the NIV up there. The same Spirit gives the faith to, faith to another, and to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another to prophesy. Someone else has the ability to discern from, uh, whether a message is from God, and another is given the ability to speak in other languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So we all have a small portion of all of these gifts, and there will, but there will be one that will stand out the strongest that we can explore more and develop with the help of the Holy Spirit. I can see this in action when I'm out with Michael on the streets. Um, Michael can talk to anybody. He can walk up, speak to anybody he doesn't know, and he does awkward so well, I don't. So I'll be with him and I'll just be listening to him talking to somebody about Jesus. And, and, but that gives me the time, he's using his gifts, that gives me the time to hear if, if God is gonna drop a word into my spirit about this person. So, and then I can, if it happens, I can just um, jump in and give somebody this word. And that usually changes, it adds another layer to what we're talking about. And it just, it, it can change the whole atmosphere straight away. So number six is our authority. Once we know our authority and what's been handed to us after Jesus left the world, we can walk into any situation and take command of the schemes of the devil with total confidence. Luke 10, 19 says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. That's a pretty strong scripture. I'll start again. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. So we need to believe that. I used to converse with the spirits every day before I became a Christian. I used to see them everywhere, talk with them, and I used to have fun with them moving stuff around in front of me and manifest physically and appearing around me. But this stopped altogether when I became a Christian, when I started my relationship with God. But until recently, just a couple of months ago, when I was able to win a little battle, I had, um, for some reason, I'd, it crept up on me, but I was at my parents' place and I would run up the stairs really fast and turn all the lights on. I just started to get a little bit scared of being upstairs for some reason. Um, you know, the lights had to be on or someone else had to be in the house and things. And I, I didn't really realise that it happened, but it, it did, I know now. Um, so one day I was up, upstairs and I was in the bathroom and um, I was... I saw something out on the landing in the corner of my eye, and this thing was black, had long black legs and long arms, and it was just standing there looking at me. And I got such a fright, I, I jumped, and um, I had a choice then. I could have taken off, run down the stairs, and just got on my car and got home, or I thought, okay, what do I do here? This is a choice. So I stood there, and I looked at it, and I told it to get out in the name of Jesus. I told it that I had a authority given to me by Jesus and I cancelled 
all the agreements that um, whoever has brought it into the house had with the enemy. I cancelled that. I bound it up, chucked it out into the pit of hell, and I loosened love, joy, and peace over the house. I then went through the house and I prayed the blood of Jesus. I pled it over every single room of the house. And oh my goodness, I can, yeah, it, the, that feeling left straight away. I now go into the house and it just feels so different. But I didn't actually realise that I was getting into that oppression kind of thing until, until I came face to face with it. So number seven in our weaponry is the Holy Spirit. He is present, he is beside us, he is in us. So wherever we go, he wants to ooze out from us. And as a result of this, we actually have the fruits of the Spirit that we can bring out into other people. Galatians 5, 22-23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. Number eight is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is alive, and it will attach itself to the hearts of every person that hears it. There is power in the gospel, and when we share it with people, it stays with them long after we've left. Know that even when you get rejected for it, you have left a seed with that person that might find some good soil one day, ready for someone to come along and water it. Number nine is testimony. There is power in testimonies. No one can argue with your story. No one can argue with the experiences that you've had with God. Our testimony is what we were like previously, our encounter with God, and what has happened as a result of it. Revelation 12:11 says, They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So we actually should all have what's called an elevated testimony, a 30-second testimony that we can tell people really, really quickly and just sow that seed. But it's really cool if you're in an elevator because they can't run away from you. <laughs> but it's just a little blurb that, you know, we've got so many different testimonies of different things that have happened in our lives. But if we have that in the back of our mind, you know, it's something that we can, that we can use all the time. It's a very powerful tool. And of course, we can't forget praise and prayer as well. I mean, we've been singing about praise this morning and how we had to praise him in the low times as well as the good times. Um, and that's happened over the last month um, leading up to this preach. Um, we've been attacked from all areas. And what we've done is we've made a decision. We decided to praise him in the low times, and we praised him and praised him and praised him, and my goodness, that just changed the atmosphere of everything. We still were going through the bad times, but it was almost like he lifted us up and we were cruising along. So what good soldier would go into battle without wearing armour? We've got weapons to use, but it's really important as well to have that defence. So in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, it talks about the armour of God. This is really important too, and this is what we can put on and we can just go through in our heads. A good idea is to do it before you go to sleep at night because having the armour, it's good to protect ourselves while we're you know, having dreams and things too. That's another way that Satan can hop into our heads. So we put on the helmet of truth, 
we put on the breastplate of righteousness, uh, sorry, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, shoes of the gospel, this, and we hold the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith in our hands. I move from the head to the toe so I can remember it. Um, but, um, and it's something that we should put on daily in our minds. So remember that Satan hates you and he hates me. He hates it how I'm standing up here today spilling his battle secrets. And he hates it when we remind him that the war is already won. It's won by us and that he is just dirt under our feet. He hates it when we realise that our purpose on this earth is to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the world with worshippers who will rule over all evil. He hates it how the church is taking back its territory and he hates the people who go out and love others even when the world says that they're unlovable. He hates us talking about Jesus. He will fill our heads with lies. He will tell us it's okay to sin. There's no such place as hell. There's no such thing as the devil and maybe God is really us all along. Kind of sounds like a Disney movie, but that's what he tells us. He will say anything to humans to convince them to live against God, just to boost the number of people that are falling into hell every single day. So please do not ignore evangelism and discipleship. One lie that Satan has told the church is that you have to be an evangelist to evangelise. Leave it to the extroverts and the people with a gift of evangelism. So well, I just want to get this straight with everybody today. If I prophesy, does that make me a prophet? No. I can prophesy, and so can we all, but I don't work from the office of a prophet. That's another level of anointing that certain people have. And the same goes with evangelism as well. We are all called to share the gospel to people about, and tell people about Jesus but we don't all sit in the office of an evangelist because the actual job of an evangelist is to equip, equip the church to go out and make Jesus famous. Telling people about Jesus is something that we need to get used to as part of being a normal Christian. Please don't believe the lie and leave it to the evangelists. The Bible says to you and me in Matthew 28, 19, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in Mark 16, 15 to 16, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptised shall be saved, but he who has, been who has disbelieved shall be condemned. He's not just talking to the evangelists there, he's talking to every single one of us. So our purpose on earth is to glorify God and we are commanded to share the gospel. And because all of us are different and have different circles, we all do this in different ways. Sharing the gospel doesn't mean we have to stand on the street corner and preach. Some people do that, some people do it well, but there's other ways that we can fulfill this command. It can be relational, it can be through good works, kindness, love, generosity, caring for people, or simply telling the person at the grocery counter that Jesus loves them. You should try that. It's actually so much fun. And it says in Matthew 10, 
32 to 39, that when we talk to people about Jesus, Jesus then talks to God about us. I really like that. God often places people in front of us that need to hear the good news, and it can go pear-shaped sometimes. But if they reject you or, or you know, tell you to go away, you can walk away knowing that you were obedient, okay, and that they are only rejecting God, they're not rejecting you. But you may have left that seed with them. Who knows the next person that's going to come along and tell them the same thing. When this happens, remember the person is rejecting God. He's not rejecting you. So this is a biggie in the spirit war because Satan will do anything to stop the gospel reaching every corner of the world. Remember, he wants our friends, he wants our neighbours, and he wants our children in hell. Why? He's not interested in us. He doesn't want to be our friend or anything like that. It's only because he hates God with everything in him. When we partner with the Holy Spirit, so much more can happen than just words. He will give us insight into the person we're talking to by giving us words of knowledge or prophecy. He will also help to ooze out the fruits of the Spirit as we spend time with them. So you never know to what extent you're being watched or noticed. And sometimes battles are actually being won without us knowing, just by having the Holy Spirit inside us and letting him ooze out. Jono. <laughs> so are we in a war? Yes, we're in a war. Are we fighting blind? No. Do we win in the end? Yes, we do. So let's get into the spirit war. Let's become battle ready. Let's fight the good fight. Let's live an overcomer's life and kick Satan where it hurts him the most by taking the souls back off him that he thinks belongs in hell. Actually, one thing that really got my heart this morning was seeing the young people in the front this morning. Yeah, seeing Lucy and all these others up the front, these young people that are battling through so much in the world at the moment. Satan is at them from all angles, but these guys are overcomers. They are here, they are worshipping him, and they are our future. They are our future leaders, our future pastors, our future parents. So I think we need to honour them as well and get behind our young people too, because that is a huge part of the war as well. So that is the end of my thing this morning. But if anybody is here that needs some prayer, if anybody needs some strength for any battles that they're going through at the moment, um, yeah, do come up the front and there's some people here that would love to pray for you.